It's good to have a friend. <laughs> Okay, good morning. I'm just going to rearrange the guys' stuff, which they love when I start doing that. So, has everyone had a good week? I don't even know where to start with mine. So, uh, my name's Ange, I'm one of the senior pastors here, along with Rob, who's at the back. Um, in some respects, you know when you kind of go, God really looks after everything. If it wasn't for Catherine and Nathan saying, you know, would you, could you um, uh, dedicate Amber today, we would have been in kind of a stick, because I don't know if a lot of you know, Rob had a bit of an accident on Thursday afternoon. I got home to finding him dazed and confused on the bed um, with a fat lip and um, blood over his top and... After a day in hospital, literally 26, seven hours, um, I think I, I had about two and a half hours sleep. Um, it turns out he had a severe chest infection and was severely dehydrated, which caused him to face plant in our bedroom, which is great. Just what you want to do when you come home on a Thursday. So I was already preparing for this, so you've got me today, which is really good. So uh, if you see Rob, don't shake his hand because he broke his thumb as well. Men, if they're going to do it, they do it well. Anyway, <laughs> I can get away with it because I've got the microphone. So lovely to see you all. Really, really lovely. We really, really welcome you here this morning. All that are visiting, family and friends of Nathan and Catherine. It's such an exciting morning um, to be part of this and for them to ask us to be part of their family's um, life as well. Hello. You right. We are not worried at all about the kids, so please don't worry what they get up to. It's, it's not an issue at all. I came across this poem quite a while ago now, and I thought I'd share it with you. If you love something, set it free. If it comes back to you, it's yours. If it doesn't, it never was. But if it just sits in your lounge, messes up your stuff, eats your food, takes your money and doesn't appear to realise that you've set it free, you either married it or you gave birth to it. <clears throat> so this morning we're going to be looking at a passage that tells those of us who are parents or grandparents or uncles and aunts, whatever, this passage will give us some pointers as how to be the best influence we can upon our children and those around us. So let's read through the main passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. And if you have Bibles or tablets, iPads, you name it, the whole lot, app, Bible app, Bible gateway, goodness knows what else, um, turn to 1 Thessalonians 2. We're going to look at verses 1 to 12. So, give you a few moments. So we're just going to read through that first, this, this passage, and then we're going to look at some elements of that, of what Paul's advice is. <coughs> to um, us as parents and those who are thinking of being parents, crazy that you may be. So, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. 
On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people nor from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as nursing mothers care for her, cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Now, this passage, although it isn't actually talking about how to be good parents, what we see Paul doing here is explaining that when he planted the church of Thessalonica, he had made every effort to treat that church like a good parent would treat their child. As in verse 7, Paul says, just as nursing mothers care for her, cares for her children, so we cared for you. And again, in verse 11, Paul writes, for you know that we dealt with you, each of you, as a father deals with his own children. Paul tried to be a good parent to that church. And in so, he ended up giving us the basics of what a good parent looks like and what a good parent acts like. If we treat our children in the way Paul describes here, we'll be raising them in the way that God wants us to raise them and we'll be the most successful parents that we can possibly be. So how do you go about being this kind of parent? Paul told this young church that when he and his fellow missionaries spoke in verse 4, they spoke as those approved by God to be entrusted with, his, with the gospel. Paul realized that God had given him a special responsibility, a special responsibility for this congregation that he had given birth to. Likewise, we must realize that God has given us a special task to influence our children. This is your God-ordained responsibility, and you must regard it as more important than your personal goals, your hobbies, or even your career. This responsibility is so critical that when God commanded the church to select elders, he told them that they were to be men who were known to be good fathers, as we see in 1 Timothy 3, verses 4 to 5. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, And he must do so in a manner worthy of respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? It is estimated nowadays to cost around £230,000 to raise a child from birth to 21 years old. You could almost say I'm paying for them, so I own them. But that's not true. We don't own our children. In fact, the Bible teaches us that our children are a gift from God. Psalm 127.3 says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Therefore, because children are gifts from God, God is the one we should seek to please when we raise our children. Paul wrote that when he and his team worked with Thessalonica in verse 4, 
We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. And in verse 6, we are not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Paul's primary objective was to make sure that his actions pleased God. Even if those actions pleased no one else. Even if his actions upset the church that he had given birth to. Likewise, when we raise our children, our major concern should be, will our actions please God when we're done? Is our goal to bring our children up to honour God? Or is our goal just to make sure they're happy with us? All too often, parents raise their children with an eye towards whether or not they return our love. And even worse, parents nowadays are more concerned about whether or not their children actually like them or not. When one man visited the United States, he noted, the thing that impresses me most about America is the way that the parents obey their children. Once in a while, parents need to make tough choices and they need to make difficult stands. Take a look at this advert. Mom, Dad. You are miserable parents. I snuck out. You caught me. I lied. You knew. I pushed. And you pushed back. Invaded my privacy. My privacy. I hated it. I hated you. Why can't you leave me alone? Just leave me alone. I thought you were the worst parents in the I world. I thought you were the worst parents in the world. Thanks. from 2003 bit of a shaky um, advert but it gets the point across the faces of the teenagers fill the screen as they angrily tell their parents that they're annoyed about them asking them questions and and questioning where they've been what they're doing and everything and the advert is so well done that you can almost sense a parent cringing at the hatred that is being directed at them and yet the point of the advert is that good parents must deal bravely with their children They must make tough decisions if they want to keep their children off drugs and out of the wrong type of lifestyle. We are not called to be our child's best friend. We are called to be their parents. And God has given this amazing privilege of influencing the lives of our children. And God did that because God believes you are capable of modeling the qualities those children will need. In verses 11 and 12, Paul said, For you, the Christians of Thessalonica, know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. When we're dealing with our children, that's not always easy to do. It's not always easy to encourage them and comfort them, urge them to live lives worthy of God. But we are the only ones whose words of encouragement really count. We are the only ones whose words of comfort really make a difference to them. Our respect and our love for them are the only true issues that matter to them. A number of years ago, Irma Bombeck, an American humorist who wrote about family life, wrote this. For the first four or five years after I had children, I considered motherhood a temporary condition, not a calling. It was a time of my life set aside for exhaustion and long hours. It would pass. 
Then one afternoon, with three kids in tow, I came out of a supermarket pushing a cart when my toddler toddler son got away from me. Just outside the door, he ran toward a machine holding bubblegum in a glass dome, and in a voice that shattered glass, he shouted, Gimme! Gimme! And I told him I would give him what for if he didn't stop shouting and get in the car. As I physically tried to pry his body from around the bubblegum machine, he pulled the entire thing over. Glass and balls of bubblegum went all over the parking lot. We had now attracted a sizable crowd. I told him he would never see a cartoon as long as he lived if he didn't control his temper and he was going to be making license plates for the state. (laughs) He tried to stifle his sobs as he looked around at the staring crowd. Then he did something that I was to remember for the rest of my life. In his helpless quest for comfort... He turned to the only one he trusted his emotions with, me. He threw his arms around my knees and held on for dear life. I had humiliated him, chastised him and berated him, but I was, all, I was still all he had. That single incident defined my role. I was a major force in that child's life. And I absolutely love that phrase, I was a major force in that, my child's life. We are a major force in our child's lives, our grandchildren's lives. And that's what God created us to be for our children. That's why it's so important that we place a high priority on encouraging them, comforting them and urging them to live lives worthy of our God. In addition to what we say to our children, what we do is equally important. When Paul worked with the church of Thessalonica, it was It was his goal to set an example by being holy, righteous, and blameless among those who believed, as it says in verse 10. That should be our goal around our children. We should strive to be holy and righteous and blameless in our homes. When our kids watch our behavior, they should see someone who loves God. When our kids listen to our words, they should hear someone whose words honor God. Our goal should be be to be holy righteous and blameless but we may not always succeed our children may hear us become unreasonable and unfair we may allow our temper to get out of hand we might even get so angry that we use hurtful words we might even swear has that ever happened to you have you ever behaved like that around your children have you ever gotten so angry that you've begun to scream at them Have you ever gotten so upset that you've behaved in ways that you knew you were wrong? Rob and I have one daughter, Naomi. She is 30 this year. I had her when I was six. No. (laughs) It's going to run dry at some point, but we were were very young parents. We were young parents. Um, So she's 30 this year, and our granddaughter is actually going to be one in a month, which is really... Love it. Love, love being a grandmother. I've never realised what... Grandmother, that makes me sound old. Sorry, I'm a nana. Nana Ange. But years and years ago, we tried our best to bring Naomi up in the best way that we possibly could. But this one day, we were having a bit of a particularly hard time. Rob and I were at each other like loggerheads. And I don't, we don't even know today what, what the issue was. She was probably about four years old. And um, I was so cheesed off that I went and had my dinner and took it upstairs and ate it up in the bedroom, like you do. And I came back downstairs, and Nay and Rob were sitting at the table. And she suddenly put her hands up. She went, we forgot to pray. 
And I went, oh, man, such a bad parent. We have all been there, seriously, you know, and that's just the best story that puts us at the kind of okay. I'm not going to tell you the rest because she's okay. She's, you know, she's safe, secure. She has not got too many major hang-ups. But, you know, let's face it, as parents, we mess up. We do things around the house that embarrass ourselves, and we do things around our children and to our children that we know are wrong. And when that happens, what do parents usually do? We make excuses for ourselves. Or we blame them for why we blew up. Or we just ignore that we ever did anything wrong. And that's wrong. Paul told the church in Thessalonica that he tried very hard not to be dishonest in how he treated them. In verse 3, For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. And in verse 5, You know we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. You see, Paul realized that if he modeled dishonesty to the church in Thessalonica, the type of behavior they would, that's the type of behavior that they would copy in how they dealt with others. When we are tempted to make excuses for, for ourselves or blame others for our failing, or if we find a way to ignore that we've misbehaved in front of children, that teaches our children to make excuses for their bad behavior. That teaches our children to blame others for their failures. And that teaches our children just to ignore their sinful actions. They figure, hey, if mum and dad can do it, why can't I? Do you get that? The way we deal with our own failings is what we teach our children. As one person wisely observed, children have never been very good at listening to their elders, but they have never failed to imitate them. We need to be people who love God enough to trust him to forgive us when we mess up. And we need to model that to our children so that they trust us enough that we'll forgive them when they mess up too. And very lastly, the most important thing that we can give our children is salvation. Paul wrote in verse 4, We speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We need to realize that our children need to see God so powerfully in our lives that they just naturally want the relationship with God that we have. And that that can be an awfully painful journey as we watch our children grow up, as we allow them to make their own decisions. And sometimes those decisions are going to make us weep. Now, a few books that I would recommend along for the journey of being a parent are Stormy O'Martian. I don't know if you've heard of her. She is an amazing woman. She has an amazing story. Her testimony is phenomenal. And she does a number of books, The Power of a Praying Wife, The Power of a Praying Grandparent. But The Power of a Praying Parent is brilliant, and I cannot recommend it enough. So that's definitely one book that parents should get hold of. The other one's by Rob Parsons. Rob Parsons is actually the CEO of Care for the Family. He, he and his, his organisation is brilliant, really seriously brilliant. Um, if you can get, ever get along to one of his conferences, it is an English-based um, organisation, then do so because they are phenomenal. Three books. So The 60-Minute Mother, The 60-Minute Father, they are books that are, have been designed that you can read them in 60 minutes. Okay, there's little anecdotes, there's little points for you to consider, there are stories in there, there are things that make you go, ooh. 
So seriously, I do recommend those. And the last one um, was with Rob and his son Lloyd, who was 17 at the time. They wrote the same the book together, What Every Kid Wished Their Parents Knew and Vice Versa. Fabulous books. If you need books that are in your face, honest and open and practical, they are books to get hold of. So, now that I've waffled on to you about being a parent and what a parent looks like, let's move into the dedication service. So, (laughs) I... Sadly, the thing was, it it was supposed to be over there, but because of the video, the lead wasn't long enough and we had to move it over here. So she's there. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 7, commands parents to love God. If they truly wish for their child to one day love and follow God, their lives must be an example. And as I've already spoken about today, it's very clear to all of us that you both love God. Um, Secondly, Deuteronomy makes it clear that the duty of teaching children belongs to parents. What we do here in Vineyard Kids can provide weekly instruction, but parents must take every opportunity they can to seize that moment that arise throughout life in order to teach their children. We've done many things in our life with Naomi along with us. We gave up one Christmas Day um, dinner. We asked her permission. She was probably about 10 years old at the time. If we could give up our Christmas Day and go and feed the, ho- the um, singles and the homeless, uh, a- another group of churches were doing it, and we gave up our day and went along that day to actually do that. We tried as much as we could to model what this thing of following Jesus looks like. And I don't know what Christian rituals or um, traditions you have in your, your marriage and your family. However, I'm aware that you do pray with Evie every night, whether she brings up paint or not, painting. But again, keep those things, you know, whether you pray before having a meal, um, reading stories together about Jesus and about the, all the Bible stories, embed that into her life. So, I now invite, invite Nathan and Catherine, Amber, and probably Evie, up to the front. Isn't this exciting? Um, I'd, again, I'd like to say a huge welcome to all of Nathan and Catherine's family and friends. It is so lovely to see you guys here. really, really is. Um, Proverbs 17.6 tells us that grandchildren are a crown to the aged and parents are a pride of children. Grandparents, we know that you're very proud of your granddaughter. And Nathan and Catherine, we trust that the step of faith that you're taking today will make Amber one day proud of your actions. She is fine. We'll leave her. (laughs) Children are a gift from God, as we've already seen or spoken about in Psalm 127.3. Proclaims that sons are a heritage from the Lord and children a reward from him. 